about to see is probably one of the closest things to a Babylon 5 video that you'll ever get because I'm never doing it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I actually do uh, hope that by this point at which you're seeing this, the Babylon 5 videos have started going live. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, whatever, because I record these well in advance in order to prep for those lower runs I do because I'm just streaming all day every day for, you know, a couple weeks. If anybody's wondering, that's one of the main reasons why the Babylon 5 things have been pushed back, uh, because I just haven't had time to add to my schedule, because, yeah. <laughs> Ironically, if I could support living on my own right now, uh, which, I'm, which I'm definitely getting there, then I might be able to do better on that, but we'll see. Once the medical bills are killed off, we'll think about that. The reason I bring that up, though, is not to torment or taunt you or to try to troll or anything, but to mention something that I like about Babylon 5. Babylon 5 had a tendency to bring up an issue and go out of its way not to resolve it. I don't mean like, you know, oh, we're about to be attacked by aliens and then cut to cliffhanger and we never find out what happens. That's not what I mean. I mean... I don't have a good analogy without just going into something. So we're just going to say something flat out. Medical experimentation on animals. That's an issue. That's an ethical, moral quandary. And Babylon 5, obviously Babylon 5 never brought that one up, but Babylon 5 will bring up an issue like that and say, blah, here's the issue. So, and it will give presentation of both sides of the issue, and it pretty much always does so pretty fairly. Neither side is portrayed as right, neither side is portrayed as wrong. It's just two differing perspectives. And, they, and when I say they go leave them unresolved, what I mean by that is they go out of their way to not tell you which way is the correct way, because that's not their job. That's your job, to decide what is correct for you, by your perspective, by your mentality. Uh, Deep Space Nine did this uh, occasionally as well. I mention this because one of the things that has always irritated me about science fiction in general, and especially early TNG, is being preached at. I don't like being told, let's use the example I used earlier, ethical technology, experiment on animals is wrong, and there is no other possibility of looking at the situation, and it is adamantly pure, and, and the people who are for it are like hideously, cacklingly, cartoonishly evil, just like 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 Captain Planet villains, for God's sakes. You know, they're like, ah, and then I will make everything gross for no reason. You know what I mean? They slant things. Now, a lot of that has to do with writer bias. Now, let's be honest, we all have that. I have that. You know, I have, I have a strong writer bias. I usually go out of my way to admit it, that I'm doing something specifically because I think blah. I've done this in Primus. For those who are not aware, there are certain things that are not in Primus. Because I don't like those things at all, and I don't want them in my world. And that is me having writer bias, and I'll admit this freely. But what I don't like is if I had, to use the TNG example, I would, it would be like me saying something I don't like. Let's just keep the medical, let's keep it simple and just keep using the, the, the animal situation. It would be like if I had written a, a section of Primus where, again, they, they, they encounter these people experimenting on animals and they're, we will then not pet this kitten. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, with this preaching? I mention this specifically because it's kind of rare for Star Trek in general to not preach at you, but rather to present both sides of the issues and then not resolve them, as I described pre previously. This is a Voyager episode that does that. I know, right? Voyager, of all things. You know, you want to be ready for your mind to be blown a second time? This is a Jerry Taylor episode. Jerry Taylor wrote this script. Now, if you haven't heard me use that term before, that, that, that woman's name before, 
I usually place her as the third worst, uh, third most influential bad influence on Star Trek in the history of all of Star Trek, surpassed only by, well, someone I don't want to mention right now, and uh, Rick Berman. I mean, for God's sakes, this woman has done so much damaging, and she's not exactly a talented writer. In fact, it's actually a little anecdote here for you. The first episode she ever wrote for Star Trek was an episode called Suddenly Human over on TNG. An episode I don't like, by the way. But the interesting thing about that episode is the attempt of the episode was interesting. What they were trying to do was to show two sides of an issue and not make it, you know, and make it, uh, you know, no, no right answer. Now, the episode failed at that for reasons I'll talk about when we get to TNG, but this episode succeeded in the same thing. And in case you're wondering what the connection is, this episode's name is two, er, uh, nothing, excuse me, nothing human. I knew it was something human. So we had suddenly human and then nothing human. Nice little uh, bookends there. And I do think this is a genuinely good episode. It suffers some flaws. We talked about this last week. Everything has flaws. The objections about the hologram thing irritate me. We'll talk about this later. But let's keep moving. So, like I said, this is kind of a message show. But the message is more bringing up the topic and then letting you decide. Again, the Babylon 5 method, which is why I'm totally okay with it. I tend to not be in favor of message shows in general, but this pulled this off really well. I also want to mention two uh, individuals who really deserve praise for this. One is David Livingston, because he directed this episode and it shows. Um, he himself went on record, uh, I was reading one of his things, where he said uh, he was having a hellaciously hard time making this episode work, because it's a medical drama. It's a medical and ethical drama, so there's no action. But the producers were telling him, keep the momentum going. Make it interesting. And that's hard to do. I think he succeeded. He does a lot of work with camera angles. He does a lot of work with uh, the movement of the camera in order to make the scenes feel like there's more energy in them than there otherwise would be. And I feel like he did a really, really good job of pulling energy out of what is otherwise not very energetic scenes. Dramatic. Interesting, not very energetic. So, definite props there. I also want to give props, and I gotta look this gentleman's name up because I, uh, David Clennon. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, David Clennon is the gentleman who plays the Cardassian, Chroma uh, Set, excuse me. And fun fact, he's actually a friend of uh, Picardo, or I should say, as of the time this episode comes out, he had been a friend of Picardo's for many years. And it shows, again, the natural chemistry the two have is phenomenal. The two of them just bounce off each other beautifully, both when they're being positive towards each other, when they're praising and, and working well together, and when they're being negative towards each other. The way they bounce the ball back and forth, it is very tennis style, and it is very well done. Some amazing chemistry on display. Um, I also want to give a, a, an apology, even though uh, she'll never hear it, to uh, Roxanne Dawson, whose dog died when this episode was going in, and so she was pretty down for that, as you might imagine, because uh, that sucks. I mean, there's nothing else I can say about that, that it sucks. And she had to deal with that, and she, in her own words, was a prop in this episode. I want to mention something, though. She was an amazing prop in this episode. Now, that sounds like, sounds like damning with faint praise, but what I mean by that is it's harder than you'd think to put forth an interesting performance when you are forced to not move. I want you to imagine the next... Like, I, I know most of you are probably not actors. I've done some acting in my careers. Um, a decent amount, actually. Most of it theatrical. But I want you... When you're acting, you act with your body. You act with your face. You act with your tone. But imagine most of those are taken away from you. You're forced to lay still, basically unmoving, can't do much with your face, and you're forced to talk kind of quietly. I don't know if you can hear the sound. I'll move over. You're forced to talk a lot more quietly because you're injured. So all of the tools you have as an actor 
or an actress in this case, are taken away from you. But she still made it work. It still worked. It was still interesting. She still presented Balana well. She still presented her side of the argument well. She did a good job, is what I'm saying. So, so despite the fact that she was a prop, she was a very good prop. So that's not faint praise. That is good praise. Again, not that she'll ever watch this. Um, we got to talk about one other thing. I wanted to talk about this at the beginning, but I wanted to get the Babylon 5 thing out first. Start on a positive note, right? I'm going to name drop someone. Mengele. Now, about half of you out there, this is total fabrication here, but about half of you out there do not know who that is, and about half of you do. So I'm just going to say this clearly for those of you who do not know him. Don't look him up. I'm serious. Don't. I've said this on my stream before. We've actually discussed Mengele in brief on my stream before, and I have said to the people who didn't know the name, don't. They didn't listen to me. Now, I'm pausing for a moment because I imagine about all of the people who were just told not to look it up paused the video and just went to look it up. So now that you're back, I'm sorry. I warned you. But I needed to bring him up. This is the other way this video is going to be like Babylon 5. Because Babylon 5 hit some pretty hard issues. Things that are usually on my so-called forbidden list. Things I don't like to discuss on my show because most people can't discuss them. You know, we've talked about this many, many times. But I have to bring them up because otherwise I'm just sidestepping huge chunks. In fact, I would literally be skipping this episode if I did not bring up Mengele. I'm dead serious. Now, I could minimize his, his significance, but I also could not discuss this episode at all without discussing Nazi medical science. Let me, let me rewind a little bit. For those of you who do know who Mengele is, let me make the distinction clear. Kromaset is not Mengele. He is a character based on a character over on Deep Space Nine who was based on Kromaset. The character over on Deep Space Nine was never actually made. That episode never happened. It was something they were tossing around, and the idea kind of came over here. And they'd been wanting to do something with the Cardassians for a really long time on the Voyager crew. And this hologram thing is probably the best method they could do that. There was actually talk of him being a recurring character until the ethical th side of things came up, and they decided to take things in the way they did. Now, the reason I bring up Mengele is to contrast him to Kromoset. Okay? Mengele was a sick, sick bastard. Kromoset was a sick, sick doctor. And there is a difference. Doing horrible experiments only to satisfy your own morbid curiosity versus doing horrible experiments in order to advance medical science and help treat others, those are worlds apart. And I only mention this because it's interesting to me that they wanted this horrible person, and this person, Kromo said the real one, not the holodeck one, is a horrible person by Star Trek standards. And I'm not arguing that fact. But even that pales in comparison to what we have here in real life. And that, in a nutshell, is why I don't like too much realism in my fiction. But I'm going to go ahead and drop that subject, because we're going to go ahead and talk, tackle the ethical stuff um, probably last. I'm going to try and... This is, again, this is probably how I'm going to do the Babylon 5 stuff. I'm going to talk about the point-by-point -point stuff of the episode, like I've been doing with Voyager, and then I'm going to hit the topic of the episode, if there is one, towards the end. And then in Babylon 5, there'd be spoilers last. So let's do the point-by-point -point here, shall we? Let's roll this over here. The Doctor has a strange combination of ego, lack of self-awareness, desire to help, and desire to be respected. It's a unique little blend and is something that is very 
uh, a very strong aspect of his personality, and indeed will continue to be a strong aspect of his personality. There's going to be a future episode where I think it's better to discuss that, but I mention it here because it is very clear in his performance how that's coming across with his whole holotapes thing. He's not doing it because he wants to bore them. He's not doing that because, you know, yeah. There's no, like, oh, you, you must respect me kind of a thing. He's doing it because he genuinely believes that they will find this interesting because he does. And he believes that he is due the respect of all the accomplishments he's made, which he so rarely gets. And, as a final note, I believe he is trying in his own bizarre way to help the crew deal with a massive journey confined to a single ship. His mention about this being a regular activity is something that strikes me as he was like, well, I enjoyed this, and therefore you might enjoy this, so let's make this a regular thing. I can understand that because I've had that, that perspective myself many times. I'm doing something with someone else, and I enjoy it, so I suggest maybe we should do it more often, because it was fun. And you enjoyed it too, right? Question mark. The difference between me and the doctor is I've, uh, well, I'm way, way more experienced in dealing with people, and also because I'm like four times as old as he is, Actually, I think I'm closer to ten times as old as he is. How old is the doctor at this point? Whatever. Point being, a uh, little more experience on my side, so I know that you don't just automatically assume that just because you enjoyed something that they did too. Now, I also like uh, Chakotay's comment, where he basically refuses to, to free them from the doctor's uh, presentation, for lack of a better term. I find it interesting because, I mean, it's obviously funny, and that amuses me. But I find it interesting because it indicates the Doctor's been doing this. This isn't new. This isn't some new thing. He's been trying to help in his own unique way. And has effectively become the new Neelix. So congratulations, Doc. No, I kid. Um, I also want to comment that Harry's an idiot. Sorry. I guess you could, I could say Janeway's an idiot. How many times have you been emailed something from someone you don't know? And there's been a file attached to it, an exe or a .com, actually, because the, the era in which people would just mail you executive files, uh, ex excuse me, ex executable files, was back in like the 80s and 90s. But anyways, let's, let's say you're alive back then and you know what I'm talking about, and you're emailed a, a program, and you just say, oh, I wonder what's in this. Let's just open it. Or an MP3, or an image file, or certain types of movie files. There's plenty of files that can contain malware and actual viruses and whatnot. And... Um, yeah. How did that go for you, just out of curiosity? Now, I've actually never done that, um, believe it or not. Really, I haven't. I do know someone personally who did that. She was like, oh, what's this message from someone I know? Hmm, oh, there's a thing in here. Oh, my God, viruses. <laughs> that slight exaggeration. But I love it because that's kind of... It's, it's, why did they just open it? I mean... Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. I like the aliens a lot. I like the fact that there's no easy fix to, try to communicate with them. In fact, I like that we never communicate with them successfully. I can't remember how many times it's made me roll my eyes across all of Star Trek, but especially in Voyager, remodulate the translator. I can't even begin to go into how much that doesn't make sense. Remodulating a translator is not going to solve or fix anything. It is literally the equivalent of having a broken tire on your car, rotating the tire, and driving home. 
it's not going to do anything. So I like the fact that we couldn't actually communicate with them. They were a genuinely alien species, genuinely alien biology, alien way of communication, alien way of functioning, chemically controlled ships, you know. They did a lot of stuff that made them feel alien. So that's awesome. And again, makes us like Babylon 5. What the hell, Jerry Taylor? Were you just watching Babylon 5 that week? Um, so... Um, now, there are two flaws pretty much right off the bat. Uh, two big flaws. Um, number one, the reason this entire dilemma exists is because Harry's an idiot. Not the first time. This is another separate instance of idiocy. I have beamed an alien into our sick bay. Okay? It would seem logical to me, maybe this is just me being a weirdo, that you, when you beam an unknown alien onto your sick but you might want to maintain a lock on it, just in case it decides to start assimilating the ship or whatever, right? Or, I don't know, assaults one of your crew members, like is what actually happens. But when, what we find out is when it goes to it, Harry's like, well, now I can't establish a lock, which is dumb for two reasons. One, he should have had the lock to begin with, and two, why is he suddenly having trouble transporting it? Indeed, it's actually mentioned later that there is no trouble transporting it. It would just transport with several of her organs with them because they're, they're basically the same creature at that point because of the parasitic nature of it. So why was that exist? Well, we know why it exists. That's the second reason it's dumb. It's there just to establish the, the threat of the episode. And that kind of sucks that they had to force it. But as ever, I will accept a flaw if they do something good with it. The second flaw is Kroll said as a hologram. Would you? I want you to imagine for a moment if they had taken the character and said, change his physical features to look like a human. Would Bellana have objected to him if that had happened? Would the Bajoran gentleman, whose name I can't even remember, Tador or something like that, would he have even recognized him in order to finger him, in order to bring up the ethical dilemma of the episode, if they hadn't just changed his appearance? Keeping in mind, changing an appearance of a hologram is something that can literally be done in a couple of seconds and requires nothing other than, computer, change the chromoset hologram to look like a human. Bam! Done. And given the situation of the crew and the fact that there are plenty of Maquis on the crew, it might have been a safe precaution. And again, they only do that so they can discover the dilemma. I, I honestly feel that would have been a little bit better presented if they had actually discovered that information on their own, like they had been digging further into the research, and it's like, aha, we found this thing. Well, this seems odd, and this contradicts with our what's in our database. But one thing I do like is that the actual, ethical, the actual ethical dilemma has nothing to do with any of this. The actual ethical dilemma we'll be talking about last. But I am irritated that everyone's prejudiced against a frickin' hologram. The fact that he looks Cardassian and is based off of a Federation profile of another character, because I guarantee you this is not what Kromoset is like. Because this is, it's the same way of saying that if we had Isaac Newton in the holodeck, that that's exactly what Isaac Newton was like. No, that's not how that works. That is a recreation of the individual based on records and, and information we have. That's not the actual person. You can't really make the actual person in a holodeck. All you can do is base them on the reports you have. So it's always going to be exaggerated. It's always going to be a little bit of a caricature. It's always going to have holes in its personality and its knowledge, and et cetera, et cetera. Right? So in every way that matters, that is not chromoset. That is the chromoset hologram, which for now on I'm going to start differentiating by calling him moset rather than chromoset, okay? So moset over there... He's just a hologram. He's literally a holographic representation of a database. Nothing more, nothing less. The characters even point this out several times. And yet, they still have this, oh, you must not use that on me, blah, 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 blah. Now, again, I do like that that issue is dropped. 
about two-thirds of the way through the episode, both people who, have, who are shown to have objections to this mention that even though Mosset is not really the issue, the data is the issue. And I like that. So I'm willing to give them a slide. It just... Really? <laughs> it's a hologram, guys. Um... Uh, oh yeah, one other thing that bothers me, I just, <laughs> hard to read my own handwriting here. One other thing that bothers me a bit is Moset, the hologram of course, works a little bit too easily. Given the, the way that uh, holograms, especially self-aware holograms, work, it's, well, Moset gets a little bit too uncomfortably close to the sentient hologram thing. Now, in my opinion, he is not sentient. He is not like Moriarty, uh, the Doctor, or... Um, Vic, Fon uh, Vic from DS9. Those are the three, I believe, who are the sentient sapient holograms. The rest, more debatable. Some get close, some don't. I do think this is close, but I think it's close because it has so much personality in the, in the subroutines. And the fact that he is so accepting of the fact that he's a hologram just kind of gives that presentation. In other words, to put it into tech terms, I believe he had his... Uh, oh, what's it called? The... Uh, the perception filters, or whatever they call it, removed, uh, which is a critical thing, and we'll be talking about that when we get to the Fairhaven episodes. Um, but I mention this because I, I'm glad they, they didn't really try to emphasize that he was a sapient being, because if they did, that just adds, adds in a whole other another mess to this, and makes it even more ludicrous that they could just whip this guy up like that. But no, he's a walking database with a, with an UI. That is what he is. It was a little irritating that it took them so little time to get it working, and the fact that they had to actually re-enableize him and, and actually bring in multiple people to get him fixed was just kind of swept under the rug. The implication that he could just stay around forever, you know. I liked more the idea that he was a band-aid. That, that works better in my mind, personally. Which is ironic, given the way this episode presented that. Um, the It's also worth noting that... Well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll wait on that. Um... Wow, and so then I just have a bunch of notes about the dilemma. Remember, we're saving that for last, so skip, skip, skip. Um, I do like one thing. I want to mention this. It, Tuvok points this out in character, in, in the show, and I like this because this is a point I'll be making too. The moment they started using him at all, they were using tainted data. Done. There's no one doing that. I like that they bothered to point that out in character. Again, I'll talk about that more when we get to the dilemma part. Um, I also like that Janeway did the decision the way she did. Because too often, uh, Janeway, and especially Archer later on, will make a decision because they are right. But that's not what happens here. Janeway make a, makes a decision and acknowledges that, it's, that she's not sure about it, that it is not the correct decision. It is merely her decision. I respect that, and I respect the difference between that. Especially given the fact that she makes a point of mentioning that both sides of the argument have valid points, which we'll be getting to in a moment. Now, there's another B-plot thing in here, just like last week. It's also kind of bleh, not really a fan of it, but it's also not as threatening as last week, and it's literally like three scenes. The alien ship shows up, they scan them, they drain their power, then it's over. And so it's much less of a B-plot issue like it, than it was last week. So I, that doesn't bother me as much. I still don't think it was really necessary, but what the hell ever, right? Shrug. Final note before we get into the dilemma stuff. 
I would love some long-term consequences. I know you're probably tired of hearing me say that, but I mean, really, continuity, guys, come on. For example, and I just threw out a couple ideas here really quick. First of all, for those of you who have not watched this episode, spoiler alert incoming, the doctor deletes Mosset and all the data attached to him. That means all that research, even, even the, the hologram is of course gone, but that's nothing. The hologram is just a software representation of a database. But he deletes the database. He erases that research data. Imagine how interesting it would be if in a future episode they encounter something that would have required that data or would have been helpful with that data, and they don't have it on hand because they deleted it for ethical concerns. And a crew member dies because of that. Now, you might think I'm slanting here or I'm pushing an agenda. I'm not. I just want to show the consequences of the action. I want to show that that decision had a very real, serious consequence to it, rather than just wringing of hands or ethical quandary within this episode. That's all. And I feel like that's the best way to do that. You could also do something technically worse than a crew member dying. What's worse? Well, imagine a crew member had something happen to him, some kind of parasitic thing, and they managed to get it out, but they did it crudely, because they didn't have that database. It was an improper procedure. Now that crew member is blind permanently. And they don't have the ability to manufacture the things that Jordy had. That's, that's specialized medical science. That crew member is now blind. Or maybe loses feeling in their right arm. Or some kind of permanent scarring. Some kind of permanent loss to the crew member. Because they didn't have that data available. I also would have liked Balana to show some impact on this, some kind of shift in her personality, maybe drifting away from Janeway, maybe getting more antagonistic towards Tom, maybe trying to reanalyze her own view thoughts on this matter, maybe simply being guilty that her life came at the cost of the suffering it did. Some kind of effect there. There's dozens of ways you could do that, and they did none of them. And finally, Janeway. I would have loved to see some consequence of this hit Janeway. Have this be another piece of straw on her back. Another aspect of the burden of command that she is just not handling. And it is just crumbling her. She, the final straw has already broken her. Night made that happen, right? But now there's still more straw being piled onto her back, you follow? If you follow my terrible analogy here. So she's just continuing to crumble, continuing to break, and continuing to get worse until that finally pays off in the episode Workforce, which I think is a season seven episode. Six or seven. We'll get to that much, much later. All right, let's talk about the dilemma, the big ethical dilemma. Now, as I mentioned, the fact that it is the Moset is not the dilemma. That hologram in his database is not the dilemma. The fact that he's Cardassian is not the dilemma. The dilemma is this. It is tainted data. That's the dilemma. Do we use it or not? No. We're going to talk about this a little bit, so I hope you'll indulge me. I haven't talked about politically, or, you know, I haven't talked about these kind of forbidden topics in a long time, so I'm a little rusty. So I'm just going to lay out some thoughts, some perspectives. I'm not going to tell you what I think. That's irrelevant. And I'm not going to tell you what is right or wrong, because that's, that would be incorrect of me. As ever, I do welcome your thoughts on this matter, and if you have anything to share, feel, please feel free to do so. This does have real-life implications. The idea here is what the real Kromoset did in order to accomplish the research that he did that was then put into Federation databases that then created the Moset hologram and allowed for all the procedures that enabled to both diagnose and save Bolana's life. That came at the cost of suffering, of ethical disgustingness, and I'm just going to say it like that, and horrible, horrible acts. 
you could now let's look at one side of this argument good was done because of that even before this episode an entire outbreak of the, the virus of whatever they keep mentioning was was cured because he used those Bajorans in order to in horrible terrible disgusting ways in order to cure that thing and was able to cure many many people of it and save many many lives statistically speaking he did save more lives than he killed that data went into Federation databanks where it will it has helped God knows how many other people across the Federation. The Federation's a pretty big place. And in a more personal, downscale thing, that data literally saved Bellana's life. Bellana Taurus would be dead if not for that. Now I know, it, you could argue, well, they could come up with some other Technobabble solution, and you're right. But for the sake of this, we will assume that the, the episode is being presented on its face. Bellana would be dead without this data. That's the one side. The other side, well, the episode itself presents it pretty well, doesn't it? It's, it is tainted data. Horrible things happened to make that data happen. Horrible things were accomplished in order to produce this information. So in using it, you have three problems. Problem one, that just feels wrong. It, it's kind of an intangible thing. But you, the knowledge that you are benefiting from someone's horrible, horrifying suffering, that's just horrible. Second problem, in so doing, you are passively or otherwise validating those, those methods. You are saying, okay, you know, I don't want to approve of your methods, but I will benefit from them. It's not in my lawn, after all, it's in yours. So I will go ahead and take and reap the benefits of your horrible actions, validating them. The third problem is the obvious ethical problem itself. It's related to the second thing. We are directly condoning those actions. We are saying, we're okay with what happened. You may not literally say that. You may say, I don't like this, but I'm willing to do this. But by your actions, you are saying, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with these horrible things that happened. You see why this is a real dilemma? Because there is no right side here. I'm sorry, there isn't. I'm not going to tell you your opinion is wrong. I'm saying there is no definitive right or wrong. I have my own opinion, which I am keeping to myself here. And I'm trying very hard to make sure that I don't give any hints as to what my actual opinion on the matter is. But this is a real dilemma. Something that's such a rare treat in Star Trek. I mean, what is this, the Witcher series all of a sudden? <laughs> so we've looked at the two generalized sides. Now, one of the things I wanted to mention here, uh, there was a, th I mentioned the point about how, as, as Tuvok pointed out, they've already reached the point where they've effectively used tainted data. They have already done the bad. What is better at that point? To throw your hands up, give up, and say, nope, we're going to stand here and let Balana die for ethical reasons, or to switch sides, we're going to realize that we did something wrong unintentionally. We had no intention of validating those, those acts. We had no intention of condoning those acts. Now that we know, now that we are not acting out of ignorance, but of knowledge, we're going to act according to our moral and ethical perspective. We are going to do what we believe is right. You see, the, you see the dilemma? It's really a really well-constructed dilemma. There's a couple other uh, points I want to mention here, though. The, um...
the problem here, one of the things, it, it was hinted at in the episode. They didn't analyze this in full, but this is a problem that I imagine most people would rather sweep under the rug, especially doctors. Why? How much medical science do you think came at the hands of suffering? This is true in real life, by the way. There's a fairly large amount of things we know that came as a direct result of suffering or cruelty or apathy. And people suffered and died so we could learn more. Now, on the, again, to present both sides, on the one hand, you could say, well, that's done. That has been done. We cannot undo that. We cannot make that better. It is accomplished, ratified in time. We don't have time travel. Done. All we can do is the now and try to do something about the now. But on the other side of things here, I, I can't really switch as well as I'd like to because of my chair positioning. On the other side of things, everything we have done has been founded upon that those concepts, especially medically. And again, this is true in real life as well. I mentioned that medical experimentation on animals thing. We have some medical science that did not come from experimentation on animals in real life. And again, this is where the distinction between Mengele and, and Moset, excuse me, Kroll-Moset comes in. Mengele didn't advance medical science. Kroll-Moset did. The Nazis did. Go ahead, flame me, bash me. I'm ready for you. What, the, what some, some Nazi medical scientists did was abhorrent, disgusting, and advanced medical science actually provided real data that has been used in the modern era in order to help save and, and, and better lives. It is a real issue in real life. And that's why I say I feel most people just want to sweep it under the rug and not discuss or analyze it. It is probably also worth noting that I know at least two people personally who have looked at this issue and just kind of thrown their hands up because they cannot decide on a side. They can't pick. It's a coin flip at that point. So they're just going to push it away. And that's how a lot of real dilemmas are in real life. But let's go to the fiction realm again, because it's more interesting to debate things in fiction, right? Less consequences. Let's look at this specific circumstance, okay? All of this horrible, tainted, disgusting data resulted in a lot of information and advancement that may have been expounded upon. This is another little niggle here. The core data may have come from Kroll-Moset. How much of that was then analyzed and built upon and led to new research theories that were not caused by horrible, horrible things on the behalf of Federation scientists or Federation doctors? How much of that data then led to new discoveries and new breakthroughs that they might not have seen otherwise or not seen as correctly? Now to switch sides here for a moment, you know, that, that sounds like I'm in favor of it, but just to go against it again, Moset, the hologram, makes it clear that the Cardassian mindset that Kroll Moset most likely had. Efficiency is what matters, right? And he had very little at his disposal. He says that himself. What mattered to him for the Cardassian mindset is, I am going to burn 500 people to save 5,000 people. It is a cold calculus mindset. Very Cardassian. 
you know, the good of the union, the good of the people, the good of the government, the good, you know, very Cardassian mindset, and that makes perfect sense to me. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but what I am saying is that it is very clearly in his mind that he doesn't actually feel bad about what he did, because, and this is the really strange thing, from Moset's comments, we get a more insight into Kroll Moset's perspective, at least partially. Do no harm, he says. And the doctor says, you have no right to say that. Yet does he? See, the interesting thing here is, I believe, this is interpretation, of course, but I believe Kroll Moset was someone who did want to heal, to help, to save lives. That was his goal in life. I don't think he wanted to do those horrible things. I think he did them willingly, knowingly, but I don't think he was, like, cackling gleefully to himself or not caring. But at the same time, I could be wrong about that. One of the things that Moset, the hologram, makes a comment to is ethics. Take my advice. Just push them out of the picture. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. You know, just forget ethics because our goal is to help people. Whatever is necessary. Ends justifies the means. And an ends justify the means guy. Well, if you remember my earlier comment, I said that the things we have done to, to advance medical science include cruelty and apathy. And that's apathy. I will make you suffer, and I don't care, because it's doing a greater good, and I'm okay with that. And I'm going to tie this in in a weird way to something I've talked about many times, and I talked about during the KOTOR lore run recently. The Justice Lord perspective and the In the Pale Moonlight perspective. If you have not heard me, allow me to elaborate in brief. There is a uh, series of episodes in the Justice League Unlimited uh, DCAU, uh, which uh, was called uh, A Better World, I believe, is the name of the episode. And it's a great episode. I recommend it highly. I recommend all the DCAU. It's good stuff. It was all about the Justice League in an alternate dimension had accepted the fact that they needed to conquer the world for its own good. The distinction here is at no point did they say, we're going to do a wrong to accomplish a good. They said, we're going to do a good. To them, it was acceptable, normal understandable. They didn't have any ethical or moral quandaries. They didn't stay up late at night thinking, God, I've become a dictator, or how horrible it was. They weren't torn up inside. They just did it. It was, it was fine. By contrast, Benjamin Sisko over in In the Pale Moonlight, an excellent episode if I do say so myself, in my opinion, of course, the distinction there was Ben Sisko also did a horrible wrong to accomplish a greater good, but he was torn up about it. He was ripped to shreds about it. It is actually quoted in this episode. He lost his self-respect as a result of that action. That's the difference right there. And I believe that difference matters. And based on what we're seeing, we're not sure which one Kroll Moset was. We don't know if he was a justice lord and just was like, yep. Or was a Cisco and was, was torn up and, and tortured and tormented about the actions he did. And we'll never know. But ultimately, that, I, I'm only mentioning this to discuss the issue because that doesn't solve the dilemma. All it does is uh, paint uh, more, more layers of gray onto the individual who accomplished the dilemma. I don't have much else to add, I'm afraid. As always, I, I invite you to, to discuss and comment. Please be civil with each other. If you don't, I'll ban the crap out of you. <laughs> okay? I'm serious. You, you can yell at me all you want. You don't yell at my viewers, okay? That's a rule. But in all honesty, if you want to discuss this, if you want to post on my forum, I have a forum that you can post this on if you want to discuss this issue. This may come up during the Babylon 5 thing, too. A lot. So. Next week, what's next week? Uh, next week is an, another episode that I 
I'm probably going to be a little upset about it. I'll just be honest with you. So I'll see you around, guys.